Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 7 of FemWonk. I'm your host, Katie Davey, and this week I'm joined by Sal Patel. We chat about the Oscars and the lack of gender parity leading into the actual night next week. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was interesting for me to see how so many of the topics we discuss broadly around gender equality actually do apply to the film industry, particularly to Hollywood and as well here in the Canadian context. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Sal, thanks again so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit more about yourself? I just started as the managing editor at Shopify Studios. Uh, It's a new film and TV studio run by the uh, Canadian e-commerce company Shopify. Uh, Before that, for five years, I worked at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, For the last uh, year or so of that time, I was the managing content producer there. Uh, Before that, I was the lead uh, digital engagement uh, strategist. And so generally, over the last like three or four year period when I was at TIFF, I was working um, on digital content, social media strategy, and staying really closely in touch with trending topics in the film industry. And now as I've moved over to Shopify Studios, I'm still working kind of in that space, but just uh, sort of in a more broad sense uh, when it comes to content and telling stories about entrepreneurs. I love it. So I'm a little nervous, though, because you're a bit of a podcast expert and now entrepreneurship expert, too. So don't (laughs) judge me too hard over here. No, no judgment, no judgment coming from over here. I, yeah, I, I do. I wouldn't say that I'm a podcast expert, but I have uh, worked on producing some podcasts in the past and dabbled in my own podcast for a little period of time. Um, and I love listening to podcasts. So yeah, no, I'm excited to be on one. <laughs> yeah, well, again, thanks so much for joining. Um, so let's just get right into it. I'll actually just start by giving you some context about why I really asked you to be on today and have this conversation. So I guess I'll call myself um, a recent dabbler in in film, and I've started to tune in over the last couple of years into more of the, I guess, award seasons, and so I've, I've started to be more interested in that world. And when the Oscar nominations came out, I was excited. I pulled them up. I wanted to see how many movies I had seen that were on the list and kind of, you know, do do that little um, tick box exercise. But when I was looking through, I was struck by particularly the category of director and um, how there were no women nominated. And mm-hmm. again, I, antennas are up and I'm a little bit hypersensitive to that for sure. But so I immediately was like, okay, this year I'm only going to watch movies directed by women. And I did a quick Google search and found out that that would mean I would not be watching many movies this year. And so I kind of, again, thought like, you know what? I'm now hosting this podcast that can talk about exactly this. So yeah, I really just wanted to have an open conversation from your perspective um, about what's going on in, in kind of Hollywood and the film industry and why uh, women are missing from that really the conversation on the directing, producing, uh, that whole world. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's such an important topic and it's obviously something that uh, has been coming to the forefront of a lot of conversations around Hollywood and, and media at large over the past few years. 
and which I think is a great thing. But uh, clearly, despite all that conversation, like you're like you're noticing, uh, not a lot of change has been seen yet. You know, when we look at the director category, for example, at the Oscars, like you said, zero nominees for best director. And I think like when we're talking about all this, it's kind of important to. I think often it's easy for members of the general public to look at, you know, award season and the Oscars and kind of dismiss them as, especially if you're not in the film industry, as maybe like a little bit frivolous or as, you know, just a, you know, a platform related to the world of entertainment, uh, which isn't that important at the end of the day. And despite the, like, obviously I'm a little bit biased because I work in the industry, but Beyond that, I think that there is a lot of importance uh, that the Oscars hold in terms of this overall conversation. Films that are nominated for awards tend to draw greater attention, media coverage. They also sell more tickets. And the people who are associated with those films end up having greater career opportunities as a result of the award conversation that happens around them. So being one of the nominees in any given year is a huge, huge opportunity, basically. And it is a, it, it's a doorway into having a career in an industry, uh, especially an industry like the film industry. So there's a lot of like historic importance around the Oscars. And I think that history, uh, unfortunately, does not reflect a lot of gender parity. So in the last 20 years, the total number of female Oscar nominees across all categories was 605 compared to around 2,600 men. I would say about half of those awards were for costume and makeup in in terms of the ones that went to female nominees. So yeah, there's a big, there's a big, big discrepancy there. And, you know, I I think in terms of the opportunities that are coming to female filmmakers uh, on the flip side of award season to, you know, further their careers, there's really, they're few and far between because they're not getting that recognition, they're not getting that ability to be associated with films that are performing well and part of that media conversation at this critical time of year. Yeah, I think that that's such a great point. And I like how you mentioned, you know, particularly for the general public, award season, probably not necessarily something that that they put a ton of uh, weight behind. But obviously, again, to your point, I think that it's I think the Oscars particularly represents more of kind of the the combination of lots of hard work by a lot of people and also lots of, I don't know how to frame it, but it, it, it provides a snapshot in time, I guess. So I, I'd wonder what your perspective is on kind of what the larger issue is with the gender gap and, and broadly with the with a bit of a diversity gap as well. Um, like where are some of those root causes, like are, are women um, and folks from a diverse background just literally not being a part of the conversation or not given those opportunities? Like, are there some systemic barriers that are holding, holding women back as well? Yeah. So at the surface, if we're talking about this, like an onion, let's use the, like, let's use the onion metaphor <laughs> for, for the duration of this podcast, because it's going to make it a little bit easier. So at the surface level, that first peel in, in terms of like getting nominations at something like the Oscars. Uh, one of the biggest issues has been the makeup of the Oscar membership, which has been primarily old white men for a number of years. Um, Everyone's favorite so, cohort. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
everyone's favorite cohort uh, is, you know, makes up the, the, the majority of Oscar, uh, the Academy's membership. And so how you address broadening the, the amount of nominees uh, at that level is by broadening the membership of the Academy, right? And so actually over the past uh, three years, the Academy's made major, major steps in this direction. So in 2015, they let in around 320 new members. That was a, a pretty big step, like, and, but, you know, generally, like, I, I guess it was a little bit uh, of a spike from what they would usually do, but not much. Um, by comparison, in 2018, they let in 928 new members, and 2017, 774 uh, new members. So basically, like, over the past few years, the Academy has been letting in a lot of new members, but they've also been doing this with certain criteria in mind. They're trying to bring in members who are uh, who are from communities that have typically been underrepresented in, in the Oscar nominee pool. So people of color, women, LGBTQ in particular are all being inducted in as new members. So, you know, with all that work, one would hope that the resulting nominee pool would reflect that level of diversity. But then here we are in 2019, and there's no women in the best director category. And just the history around that category, I, I can't remember if I already mentioned it, but there's only ever been five women nominated for best director, and there's only ever been one uh, winner. So wow, I think I didn't like, yeah, that. Yeah, no, so it's a, it's a major, major gap. And this year, I think a lot of people were hopeful that, uh, you know, there would be some course correction with all the new, with all the, the talk that's been going on in the industry, plus all the new membership uh, in, in the academy, and it hasn't happened. So then we have to go one layer down and look at what's happening in film in general. So if we look at 2018 and the top 100 grossing films uh, of last year, only 4% of directors were women in that 100 top grossing films. Only 15% uh, of the writers were women. Only 3% of cinematographers were women. Only 18% of producers were women. Only 14% of editors were women. Were women. So we're, what we're looking at is just a, a massive systemic industry-wide underrepresentation of women in, in, in the industry across all key roles. Perhaps the Academy is like getting it right in terms of their membership, uh, but what they're what they're picking from in terms of the overall pool of films made in 2018 compared to, you know, whether they're comparing films, I guess, with female filmmakers involved in the crews or directing uh, compared to the number of male led productions, uh, it's still a tiny number. And so I think that, you know, the, the next problem to be addressed is that systemic underrepresentation across all roles in the film industry. Like that really clarifies it for me. Um, and I think that's interesting because uh, I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about just generally kind of women in leadership. Um, and what we see is um, decision making isn't actually impacted until, and this is not just women, this is um, any, any sort of diversity factor you want to name, um, but decisions aren't actually impacted by that diversity until there's 30% representation at the table. Um, so that's interesting, like again, a little bit more in my world in politics because we still live in a country where many of our provinces don't have 30%, uh, even just 30% women elected. Um, and even nationally, I think it's at 28% right now. So, um, so that's really interesting that that again is 
almost exactly what you're saying is, is you know, the Academy is trying to diversify and hopefully by that happening, the decision making will be impacted kind of through those voices being at the table. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to me. I, yeah, cool. I like that. Um, <laughs> like I, I didn't, like know, I didn't yeah. think. I, yeah, I'm like I don't really know a lot about this topic, but maybe maybe we all have. They're all common factors, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, something that I was obviously, and I think many people were personally struck by, um, was the Times Up movement last year. So I think that that maybe, from my perspective, was why I was thinking and hoping that there would be a bit maybe a quicker change um, this year. And then I think we, I think they did miss the needle as far as the nominations go. But I, uh, when I kind of was thinking through that, like this line of questioning and I, how I wanted to talk to you about that, I was thinking, you know, should we have expected that? Um, and I still would like your opinion on that. But I think what you're saying is, is maybe the big change from whether it was again the, the Times Up movement or just broadly the conversation in Hollywood is that um, tackling of the diversity in the membership. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, when, when it comes to the industry at large and all those like just terrible statistics that I just shared with you around the, the gender gap in various functions in the industry, I think you know that needs to be addressed in order for the overall representation of uh, female-led and and you know female-directed films uh, to be part of the conversation at large, and for the Academy membership to then vote them up, and for them to be nominees, et cetera. So what has to happen at the film industry level, I think, is a you know the gatekeepers um, need to change or need to be called upon to become woke to some of these ideas. Hollywood is like you know by, it, it, there's no secret around the fact that like Hollywood is the ultimate old boys club. It is a culture which is highly nepotistic and that needs to be completely flipped on its head. Um, and I think, you know, what the Time's Up movement has been so uh, critical at doing is opening up that com that conversation and uh, talking about, you know, sort of the power imbalance that exists in this industry. That power imbalance obviously manifests in so many ways one way which is very important is the uh, whole topic of harassment which has existed in the industry since the beginning of time and uh, I think that has been you know the harassment that is so pervasive in the film and TV industry is part of why you know women who have made attempts to work in the industry end up not pursuing careers in it and how why we've seen this sort of perpetuated cycle of underrepresentation over time. But then that power imbalance also manifests in a lot of other ways as well, which also leads to this sort of gender gap. And then there's obviously pay inequality, uh, which is a big, big problem in the industry where I, I wish I had like a good stat off the top of my head, but people would not be shocked to hear that there is a, a massive pay gap between what women and men are being paid on the same films for the same number of spoken word. And uh, that goes across like every range from like a-list talent all the way to background characters and actors. And then when it comes to development programs, there's a, once again, you know, all the development programs that have historically existed that help uh, people get into the industry and, and help them get their foot in the door have tended to operate with that same level of nepotism and uh, be preferential towards, you know, white males in particular, uh, but men in general. 
And so one of the big things that's needed is, you know, just a broadening of criteria around uh, how we're welcoming people into these development programs. Uh, how could we create development programs that are specifically focused on developing female talent in the industry? And then the last thing, which I think is like a pretty uh, significant challenge is this idea of being one and done in the industry. Uh, so of the directors who have made only, hold on, let me reframe this. So 84% of women have only had the opportunity to make one film and then never make another film again after that. That's compared to 55% uh, for men. And so being one and done is a big issue in this industry in general. People, you know, the, the you know, it's over 50% of any person who makes a film uh, is not given a chance to make their second film, but that number is significantly higher. It's like 30% higher for women in the industry and it gets even higher for women of color. So there's significant barriers to, you know, even once you've made your first film, you know, being allowed to fail in certain ways or by certain criteria in order to get sort of the practice in to, you know, up to being an expert uh, or being a critically, you know, acclaimed filmmaker, that takes time. You know, if we look back at like the generation of filmmakers that everybody sort of reveres as household names today from like the eighties, like Scorsese and Spielberg and, uh, you know, people like that, like those guys made tons of movies before you, anyone had ever heard of them or before they made their first big blockbuster hit. Uh, they were given a chance to like fail repeatedly under the radar because that's how the industry worked back then. And it still works that way for white men. It unfortunately does not work that way as the stat points out for, for women and women of color. So I think this is uh, the one and done stat like that, that I like to call it is, is, a, is another huge hurdle that the industry needs to tackle. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean, do you think that that is because the industry, just particular in that one and done stat, is that because the industry holds women to a higher standard in that case? Or is it like the opportunities for, I guess, for failure really don't exist in the same way? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both. The opportunities for failure are getting slimmer in the film industry in general the ability to make money off films uh, in a world where like everything is becoming increasingly about like your Marvel franchise or your Star Wars franchise uh, at the you know top end of the box office it, you know it's it's harder to penetrate that environment and so yeah part of it is that the you know the the, the margin for failure or the ability to how did we frame that 2 seconds ago the the room for failure is yeah, like yeah. Is decreasing yeah. in the industry <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to call it an opportunity to fail. That feels no, weird. but um, but I mean, if you think about it, in so many other industries, well, even in the like world of entrepreneurship, like failing fast is is a good thing, right? Like we we support failure in a sense, right? Like because you have to iterate, you have to perfect, you want to keep going, you want to do what market research, you want to bring products out quick so you can get feedback, like why why wouldn't we expect other industries to be able to adopt a similar model right like it's no it's really it. true and i think like you know part of it is like film economics like they're they're they really need to be disrupted and and one of the biggest players in doing that is netflix who you know is actually netflix has been a fantastic champion of uh female filmmakers uh for the past couple of years and be, but beyond that maybe co-related to that is that 
you know, because that platform is just saturated with content, it means that not everything needs to be perfect for everybody. You know, the, the stakes that exist at the box office, because putting, putting a film out in, you know, thousands of theaters around the world is an expensive, expensive production that involves just a huge, you know, amount of support and, and a huge pipeline and a huge industry to, to back it. Whereas like putting your movie online, uh, whether it's like, you know, on YouTube or on something like Netflix, uh, can be a more streamlined process. And I think that allows for a little bit more failure that allows for people to develop their voice and uh, find themselves and find their their audience even over, you know, in an organic and gradual way before being sort of held to the standards of uh, the traditional industry. So yeah, I think it's a really important thing to your point uh, that like, you know, comes from the world of tech and entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship and that is starting to seep into the film industry. But yeah, I, I can appreciate that too. Like the obvious, the financial price tag is huge and I mean, living in Fredericton, we don't get many of these movies at the theater anyway. So, mm -hmm. uh, but um, yeah, that's interesting that Netflix is kind of changing the game and particularly on that diversity side. I, I think that's really interesting. What about here in Canada? Like what, what does the industry look like here? Are there, um, are there similar challenges or, I mean, there would be different challenges, I'm sure, but, but yeah, like what's, what's our context here look like? Uh, unfortunately, it's not better at all. Uh, the Canadian Media Fund uh, commissioned a study uh, this past year. That study was kind of two ways. Uh, part of it was uh, looking for responses from women who worked within the industry. And 90% of those women uh, in their responses said that they experienced significant barriers or significant uh, gender-based obstacles to advancement in their career. And so, yeah, it's it's just as big of a problem here in Canada. From your perspective, like, are there anything, like what, I don't know how to really frame this, but are there any sort of inputs that could help accelerate change on that front? Of course, you know, in Canada, we're, we're a whole lot smaller. Yeah, well, these aren't my ideas, but they came out of the Canadian Media Fund <laughs> study, and it was actually all the women who responded who, uh, uh, you know, voted for a number of possible solutions. And, um, you know, the, the Canadian Media Fund study kind of uh, ranks them on a percentage basis. So 44% of the women who responded uh, said that allocating public funds on a 50-50 gender parity basis was like priority number one that uh, needed to be undertaken. That's sort of a, a loud and clear strategy. Beyond that, there's sort of the idea of awarding bonus points and selection criteria for funding to producers who employ women and diverse candidates in leadership roles. There's this idea that Frances McDormand uh, popularized, uh, but that was actually coined by uh, this group called the Inclusionists who are uh, based out of uh, USC, University of Southern California's Annenberg School. Um, and that that's the term, the inclusion writer. So what, what this point, in the Canadian Media Fund study is based on is, is kind of the inclusion writer concept. So it's like the inclusion writer is telling people who have power within the industry to make it a mandatory point in their contracts to include things like 50-50 gender parity has to be met on this film set and other criteria around the inclusion of other marginalized and uh, underrepresented voices in, in the production. So 
So that is like, that's what the inclusion writer is specifically doing is saying, okay, A-listers, make sure you build this into your contracts because you're the people who can most sway that. This, what the Canadian Media Fund is, is recommending is that funding bodies like Telefilm Canada, for example, uh, who are the largest funder of uh, film and well, any screen-based media in this country, are it's calling on them to use this as criteria, you know, in the way that they address uh, funding. Um, so I think that's another really important one. Reporting and disclosure on female representation by both public companies and funding bodies tied with earmarking public funds for female-led projects. That That's like a, another big one. Offering unconscious bias training is something that came up in this study. And uh, earmarking funds for women-led projects uh, targeted specifically to emerging talent. Because I think like one of the big gaps that's identified in the Canadian market especially is that, you know, just getting your foot in the door, going from, you know, being a, in film school to being able to actually make a film at, uh, at, a, at a professional level is like, a, is a major gap. So yeah, those are some of the recommendations that came out of that study. I'm happy that unconscious bias training came up because uh, the whole time that we've been talking, that's what I've been thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it's so important. And I think like, it sounds like most of those recommendations really are tied to following the money really. And I think that that's so important. Like the folks that have that ability, whether it's the hiring or the kind of grant giving, like they do have the responsibility to be considering, you know, to be doing a a broader analysis of of where those dollars are going and how they're impacting. One thing is that uh, that I forgot to mention in their list of recommendations that I think is super important is rewarding and incentivizing regulated companies, which commission original Canadian content to meet gender parity and diversity targets. So whether it's a CBC or Netflix, you know, these are all companies that are commissioning from uh, from Canadian producers right now. And so you're creating an incentive system so that those companies are also keeping the, this kind of stuff in mind is really important. And I think uh, often when we, th- we talk about this incentive system, it feels right now often like the conversation is like, oh, this is a, a thing we've got to add to the list. And um, I guess beyond it being like a an essential criteria for gender parity, it also is like there's an economic imperative to it because diversity pays. And that's what uh, the film industry has been able to show really, really clearly over the past few years is that films with diverse casts, films with uh, with uh, diverse directors um, and that showcase diverse stories are outperforming films without those things. Um, at the box office, uh, you know, the, the highest performing film uh, of last year and one of the highest performing films ever made was Black Panther. The highest performing uh, rom-com uh, of the past, I think, over 10 years uh, was Crazy Rich Asians. And that also came out last year. So oh, it was um, so good. <laughs> and, it's, and it's so good. It's amazing. It's like, it, it's an incredible movie. And both of those movies are incredible movies. So, I mean, What's happening, what, what we're seeing is that, uh, you know, and I just gave two examples there, but there are countless examples of, of films that are demonstrating that diversity pays. And so there is an economic incentive towards looking at things like gender parity, looking at things like, you know, other forms of, of parity and inclusion on set and in film productions that just makes sense. 
Yeah, and I think like you mentioned just at the beginning there that you know some folks see it as just kind of another box to tick, um, yeah. and and that's fair until it's not. And so a great example I always give um, one of the things we did here in New Brunswick when I was in the premier's office was um, commit to appointing 50% of all of our agencies, boards, and commission appointments um, to be women. And what we ended up actually doing was, I think, 54%. But at the beginning, it was really hard and everybody hated it. And we got so much pushback when we would just decline and be like, nope, try again, try again. But mm -hmm. then when folks realized, you know what, it's, it's not actually that hard and you just have to maybe maybe put a bit more work in on the front end or maybe just go outside your circles a bit, um, it got really easy. So I think that that's one of the important things when we start having these conversations about um, about diversity is sure, maybe maybe it'll be a little bit harder to talk to folks a bit more outside of your circle in the beginning, but it, everything's always hard in the beginning. <laughs> Um, but I think like it's interesting too because we have perfect examples actually in California as well. Their their state recently passed uh, this law. I think it's the first one, to, first state to do it. But um, all publicly traded boards in California will be required to have, and this will shock you, to have at least one woman on their board by the end of 2019 mm. and it's just like it's mind-boggling that even like a place like california who you know we think is a bit more progressive has to even legislate something like that right so mm -hmm. um you know these these things are existing everywhere and well, california is home to hollywood so we know that it's not quite as progressive uh, yeah <laughs> no that's that's a great point that's a great point but um yeah, so it's little things like that. And I love how you kind of brought it back to, you know, there is an economic benefit and even just paying uh, men and women the same, right? By giving giving women the same purchasing power, you're, you're automatically giving a boost to the economy because we also know that, and I thought this was really fascinating, but women spend 80% on average of their income and if they're the ones to manage the household finances on things like education, healthcare, philanthropy, I can never get that word, giving <laughs> um, and things like that. So they've got kind of women typically spend on a more diverse portfolio of things that are more community based. So it's just even little things well, like that, that we don't think about when we're having these like larger conversations a lot of the time. Well, even when it comes to uh, box office participation, um, it, it's really interesting that women participate equally to men. So 50% of box office revenue uh, in America is coming from women. You know, like right there, you're you, if you're looking at who your audience is, clearly Hollywood right now is uh, vastly underserving that audience. Um, okay, so so let's wrap it up. I've got one final question for you, um, mm -hmm. and it's a bit of a bit of a call to action. But what personally, what can somebody like me do to help support women in film broadly? I think you can start with what we were just talking about, which is uh, you know, in terms of being a patron of film, you say you said that you like to go to, to the movies, especially around this time of year, to catch uh, all the Oscar nominees and things like that. Vote with your dollars. So, uh, you know that could be a really powerful signal to to Hollywood. Like I said, the economic 
uh, rationale around diversity in film is getting clearer and clearer, but we can all help that by voting with our dollars and going to, you know, only support and pay for the films that we believe in, uh, that, you know, fit with our belief system, our moral code, uh, that practice that level of inclusion that we've been talking about today. Another thing that you could do, which is uh, free, is share news about female filmmakers and about films that are championing inclusion policies. Um, you know, social media is such a powerful tool. Uh, we all have a voice. Uh, and if it's something that you believe in, take to social media and amplify stories of this kind. Um, you know, that little bump that that uh, you can provide with a retweet, uh, a share, an Instagram story post, whatever it might be, that can go a long way in terms of building an audience for, for film and for a filmmaker. A lot of people have been taking uh, the, this sort of challenge, which is committing to see, you know, X amount of films by women every year. Um, and that's, you know, maybe current and new films, but also historic. Uh, there's so many incredible uh, female filmmakers from, uh, from the history of cinema that I think often get overlooked when we talk about the quote unquote canon, uh, and I hate that word, but I think, you know, challenging yourself to, uh, to, to spend some time, you know, getting to know those, those filmmakers and their work. Something you could do sort of locally in Canada is, uh, you know, write letters to your MP, to your, uh, or directly to Pablo Rodriguez, who's the Minister of Canadian Heritage. Um, uh, you know, ar around all the stuff that was in the Canadian media uh, study that we were just talking about around creating targets, special funds for female filmmakers, things like that. That's a direct way to get it on his radar. He's a direct voice that impacts the way the telefilm is structured and the way the telefilm financing happens. So, you know, it, that that's like definitely something that I would suggest. And then the last thing is there's a lot of initiatives that have started to pop up and a lot of organizations that are championing things like gender parity within media. Um, one of them that is Canadian is uh, run by my former employer, TIFF, uh, tr the Toronto International Film Festival. TIFF is a not-for-profit um, and one of their charities is a charity called Share Her Journey. Uh, Share Her Journey is a five-year program that is committed to uh, building uh, a more inclusive uh, industry and specifically towards building gender parity within the industry. The way they're doing that is by funding a number of developmental programs for uh, women in a variety of crafts, but specifically uh, directing and writing. All of the development programs that TIFF has are now committed to gender parity, if not gender parity plus. So that's a few different options around how you can support this idea. Amazing. Tons and tons of takeaways and action items. I'm going to make my list. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Um, oh, and, and, before... and go see, oh, yeah. go like, ahead. Go, <laughs> if I had to recommend like two films coming out in 2019 that people should go see that are by female filmmakers, I would say uh, Rafiki by Winuri Kahiyu. Um, she's a Kenyan filmmaker. It won uh, a special prize at Cannes. Um, and uh, it's coming out uh, sometime, I think in, in the spring of, of this year. Uh, it's, it's an amazing queer story uh, set in Kenya. Um, and then High Life by Claire Denis. Claire Denis is like a French master filmmaker. 
and her whole, you know, it's worth discovering everything that she's ever made. Her latest film stars Robert Pattinson and Andre 3000. So, and Juliette Binoche, it's like dream casting and it's a, uh, a space sci-fi kind of art house film. She does space films like nobody else does, or she's, she's done a space film like no one else has ever done one. So I would say like those two. And then if you wanted to support a Canadian filmmaker right now, um, you could watch the Oscar nominated short film uh, by Toronto's own Domi Shi. Uh, it's called Bao. And a lot of people might've seen it uh, because it played right in front of Incredibles 2, uh, which is the big Pixar film uh, from last year. Um, but now you can watch Bao online and it's a really beautiful film about uh, Domi's own upbringing and her relationship with her mother. And it's all kind of like the premise of it is that she's a little dumpling that her mom has made and and her mom is sort of nurturing this dumpling until she's ready to leave the house. So uh, it's a really cute film set in Toronto. And uh, yeah, so those are three films that I recommend starting with for people that want to take this kind of challenge. Amazing. I love it. We'll have to, um, next time I'm in Toronto, we'll have to try to catch one of those if they're out at the same time. Oh, definitely. Uh, final question. Okay. Who's, who's taking home Best Picture? Ooh, who's taking home Best Picture? <laughs> um, who's taking home Best Picture? Uh, who's nominated for Best Picture? Okay, ready? <laughs> uh, yeah. Rhapsody, The Favorite, right. Black Panther, yeah. Black Klansman. Green Book, Vice, A Star is Born, and Roma. Okay, right. Thank you for jogging my memory. Um, okay, so it's an interesting race. My personal choice would be Black Panther. I think the Academy is going to go with either A Star is Born or Roma, but recently I think things are starting to lean towards Roma in terms of uh, what the precursor award shows are uh, rewarding. So, yeah, I'm going to go Roma, final answer. I like that. That's um, I. That's one I haven't seen yet. Um, and it's, it's on Netflix. Ridiculous. I know it's it's literally the most accessible one. I'm just I'm waiting to be in the right headspace. Yeah, I like I like Black Panther. I I feel like that was a life changing movie. Like it was so amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't have an official vote because I still need to see Roma and I still need to see Vice, but. I'm all caught up otherwise. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the one that I think was the most like interesting, uh, interesting isn't the right word, but um, the favorite was definitely a bit of a twist I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. um, I also loved their- Not your typical period piece. Right, but I did yeah. love their focus on 18, was it 18th century? 18th century drag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so good. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, thank you again so much for joining us, Sal. Um, I really enjoyed this topic. Uh, again, moderate consumer of the of the film, so I learned a ton. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. That's the end of this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the topic. If you want to keep up with the conversation, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bemwonk. You can also email me directly, katie at femwonk.com, or visit the website femwonk.com. Thanks so much.